2: Welcome back. If you get any opinions on uh, the north side, what's happened there and what should, could happen there, 651 461 9226. Send us a text 651 461 9226. Joining us now the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, the one and only Joe Vavra. Joe, I got to tell you, man, um, you had him on the right track in Detroit, and since you left, they can't hit anymore, man. <laughs> what happened? <laughs>
3: Uh, no comment.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know they're, they're having a maybe the worst year in their the franchise history. That's what all the reports are saying. That's that's too bad because some of those guys had you know had such a good start to their career and you know next year who knows or so later this year we'll see what happens. But <clears throat> you know the Twins took it to them. Good for the Twins and here we are.
2: Yeah, the, some of the statistics indicate it's the worst offensive year since 1904. Uh, in the big yeah. leagues, depending on what stat you use. Now, now, if you have guys that are going bad like that, you've been through this, where, where you have a team, and a team's in a slump, whatever. Where do you start when when it seems to be kind of contagious? How do you start getting guys so that, they, so that you start to generate offense and and you get up around five, six runs a game if you can?
3: <laughs> well, there's usually like no quick fixing, But <clears throat> if you get too in-depth with guys, they'll never come out of it. So, there's a lot of, you know, idiosyncrasy things they can try and um but you know, when you got a whole lineup going bad it's it's tough. I used to like to just <clears throat> try to have three guys going good. They could carry the ball club and then, you know, a couple guys do okay and then you know, or maybe three guys going so three guys in the lineup aren't doing that well and they're the ones you really concentrate on But you can't forget the guys that are going hot because as soon as you turn your back on them and a the work day they're you know, they're then all of a sudden they tank, so it's all about the process. If, you, if you're if uh, you dedicated to your routine, it makes sense. And it really is, you know, it's a progression-type thing in hitting. And, you know, if you see, you, you take them, hey, we're right here, we want to get up here. You know, we got You got to stay with this progress to get up there. And that's, and so if you can get them to buy into that and it makes sense, and it's really their routine because you don't want to have it say, hey, this Joe Bobber's routine. No, it's your routine. You name it, you do it. And if you like it, we're going to continue it. And, and then, hey. Take the lows the way they are and you know, the highs will start coming. So you need you see a little bloop here in a crack bat and one that falls in front of the mound, you can't feel it, you're on your way.
2: Yeah, just get something going. So th- that brings us to, uh, Joe Valver is our guest, a former hitting coach for the Minnesota Twins and Detroit Tigers. And, uh, uh, speaking of, you know, how do you bring a guy out of a slump? How do you recognize if you're even in a slump? Sometimes you're hitting the ball well and you're just not getting hits. Miguel Sano, uh, they may, I, I would venture to guess they'll bring him back tomorrow against Milwaukee. His, uh, his, <laughs> we have assignment is up with the, uh, uh, St. Paul Saints and, and, and you worked with Miguel some and I mean, he, he has been all over the, um, uh, the map in terms of Matt. as a hitter and what he can do and, and guessing uh. and man when he hits it it goes far and everybody goes Well, guy, I love watching the threat and I love the threat of him but man he strikes out a lot why does he strike out so much
3: well you know he's a he's he wants he wants the big bombs I mean, he wants to put in the seats he wants to swing out of his you know, you, you know what and, and uh, that's hard to control the barrel to keep the barrel in his own you know, I, I've seen that guy when he's so good, and then I've seen him so when he's so bad, and and when he's so bad, they just consistently pound him with the same thing, and yet he don't make the adjustments. So it, it, it's hard to tone down those swings we talked about in the last Amazon. You know, these guys, you know, they're, they're hitting to the shifts, and they don't care because they want to launch and all that stuff. And uh, you know, you just you just see him. It's really hard to slow down the barrel. I call the middle neutral, and then. Once you find a contact point to hit the ball at the middle, you can kind of take off a little bit to go the other way, or you can get out in front to pull. But that middle is kind of your, kind of your stabilizer for everything. And um, you know he has a hard time with that. It he just is—he's so big now. He's so heavy, so thick. This is a monster of a guy, and he just has a hard time slowing it down. But I saw him at the Saints game uh, about a week or so ago. I went up there and uh, for a game, and um, he actually. Ex- a couple good at bats, you know. Looked, looked like he was the same old guy, but I haven't seen him since. So it's it's one of those things. When he gets hot, he'll carry the ball
2: club. So do you, with a guy like that, you you know he's going to swing as hard as he can. Do you just tell him to guess? Just go ahead and guess on every pitch because if you guess right, the rest will take care of itself. And and I don't, it, it's not working doing it the other way. So you just say, just guess every pitch.
3: <laughs> no, I never tell. Mike, I can't tell anybody to guess. I, that I I'm from the non strikeout area. Or, I know, I, I know. I That's why this handle. is so
2: complicated to watch. You know,
3: <laughs> I can't handle guys that don't just they walk back to the benches. You know, and it's no big deal. I just can't handle that. You didn't. You. It just took three pitches down the middle, and you're oh, you're sitting on a slider. Oh, way to go! Are you, are you yeah. happy? I, I don't get it. And, and uh, no, I don't I go up there and, and guess. And you know, maybe the outcome would be the same. Might be better. Who knows? You know, that's that's what a lot of the analytical guys say. Hey, you're going to sit on this pitch and say it's too hard to guess counts. You know, to me the guys get overwhelmed when you start going. Hey, it's always going to throw this. It's probably the easiest count to remember. You know, it gets to 0-1. You're going to do this. So 1-0, oh, he's going to do this. 1-1, they can't they can't digest it. They're looking at they're looking at way too many pitches on the pitching staff now sure. to try to compute all that stuff. So, but they do know the guy's strength. If you're watching, you're paying attention. You see that he's not getting a slider over. He's not getting over right handers. He's doing okay with lefties. You watch. You know, you watch his pitches. You start cutting them off and see, you know, a fastball, riding fastball check. He goes for a strike, slider down the way out of the zone, lay off of it. That's hard to do. But some guys some guys guess the pitch really good and they commit to it because they guess it right. And it might not even be close. It might bounce. But they guessed it right. They saw a spin. And they you know, that's just what, that's Who was the
2: best you does. ever saw game day adjust or game in game adjustments in terms of being able to process that that quickly
3: <laughs> Well you got you, know, you got a couple of, like more and Morneau, obviously they were they were really good about you know watching each other's bats and you know Span was good now, I'm talking about the guys that I had coming up through was pretty darn good you know you know Cabrera on the on, he he was uh, he was fine and he come back from surgery in twenty twenty when I had him at that COVID year. He has come back from surgery and kind of no fans in the stand and stuff like that. But he, he makes makes adjustment per per pitch and he doesn't necessarily sit on one pitch. But but uh, yeah, there's there's a number of guys that have been making. I like the rise, man. He, that guy just I gets was getting hit to and him, he, he, and he doesn't even have to. You know, he can he he's not going to be a guy that's going to get. Kind of fooled by, you know, kind of get it set up. I should say, I'm going to get set up pretty good because he goes back to neutral. He goes back to, you know, looking for the ball probably down the middle of the plate. And saying, hey, two feet, two inches outside, and go with it, two inches inside, you know, way inside, fight it off. If it's a strike, so you know, he he battles. He just he's just fun to watch. And incident like Cleveland the other night, I turn on MLB, yeah, and you know, I just I just have a hard time watching. You know, like the, the highlights, because it's all home run, home yeah, run, yep, home yep, run. Yep. And I was, I was totally taken back when I watched the other night. It was hit after hit, after hit, after hit, after hit, after hit. And that was Cleveland. They had all the soft singles, whatever score runs, battling, high fastballs, fighting them off. And then then they went right to a rise. Bam, base hit, scores a winner, nice going.
2: Now, now, Arise. You know he was a decent hitter coming through, but all of a sudden he, he skyrocketed this year. Is that one more adjustment that he made, or how, how do you explain a guy taking that quantum leap?
3: You know, a lot of times the league don't overwhelm them, and if they can if they can battle when they're young and fight off and give good at bats, maybe their average and stuff isn't very good, but it doesn't overwhelm them. They'll make the adjustments. You know, there's so all there's. You know, you've got quite a few guys on that club that are going to be that way. You're like a Polanco probably. He didn't get overwhelmed. He didn't necessarily do that great, but he just, you know, early on had the soft one and didn't really put in the seats. But now he can, he can, he's, he's a mature baseball player, but he's a great player. He can, he can move the ball around. And, you know, he's better from one side to the other, but he's, but he's tough. He's not an easy out, so.
2: Okay, yeah, and I, I always, yeah, cause Polanco's one of those guys, when he comes up, you feel like, okay, we want this guy up right now, cause he's gonna give you a quality at bat, because as you mentioned, he doesn't get overwhelmed, and there's a chance he could do something with it and put it out of the park, or at least if uh, he hit, hit a gap. Byron Buxton was an all-star, and certainly the home runs are there, but he also, uh, only hit 216 in the first half of the season. Uh, what do you see when you see him? Because I, you talk about hot and cold. Uh, all the you, You'll go, wow, yeah, yeah that great two home runs, and then you look and you go, yeah, and he's in an 0 for 16 slump. He's had that kind of a year. W- w- what do you see?
3: Well, you know what? Last year, before he got injured, he was that MVP type candidate, mm-hmm. I believe. I, I don't get to watch him every night like I used to, but I just think he made the adjustment of the slightest out of, not an enemy anymore. If he if it hangs, he's got it. He's he gets the barrel out front. Um, maybe he doesn't have to utilize his speed so much, but boy, the balls in the gaps, you know, it's easy triples for him. So um, he, no, he's just getting the barrel out there. I think average.
2: Yeah, could he hit a little better. But is that because he punishes you and you good. make a mistake? But but he still is not mature enough where he he can beat you on your, if you throw your best pitch.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's close. So you know, you saw it last year whether he was there. There was no doubt about it, and it comes and goes. But you know, it's 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 probably there more times than it's not. And you know, he's making the adjustments. So yeah, that's one thing that you know, when he was really going bad, it never it never got to him. Not not bad anyway. Not not outwardly. Maybe internally he was ready to come off the bridge, but he was pretty good, pretty good on the outside. You know, just, I'm going to get him right there tonight or tonight and tomorrow night. I'm, I'm going to get the guy. No problem. So.
2: And sometimes we do forget like, Torrey Hunter matured a lot as a hitter over the years, didn't he?
3: Oh, yeah. 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 Tor- Torrey didn't like the ball inside.
1: Mm-mm.
3: You know, and it, it was visible to everybody, all fans, that he just didn't like the ball upside, which, which really set him up for pitches away. And they him in. And, then, you know, once he starts figuring out those are all setups, they're for show. And I'll just, I'll just, be able to cover that play. He, you know, he could use the whole field and he could hit for power and, you know, it's, it's there's a perennial all-star Gold Glover that had, you know, the confidence, you know, to the moon and back on his defense. And, you know, those type of guys that they excel on one side of the sport, of, of the field, like Luxton, yeah. their offense is going to come around because they're going to get enough opportunity and they're going to,
2: that's are going to be
3: able to have a lot of chances. So, yep. you know, they, they just excel on one side and, and then the, well, pretty soon the offense starts to come along because hey you got to have that defense out there and this guy's going to be a monster someday and well enough he does.
2: A big poppy, David Ortiz, you competed against many times. And I'm sure as a hitting coach, you watched him closely. And you know, I knew him here in Minnesota. And obviously, he, you know, his career becomes Hall of Fame. We all know the story. W- what was he all about? I mean, I mean, a big guy like that that doesn't run well that can hit for that kind of average. Explain that.
3: Well, big poppy, you had a good foundation. You know, he came up with the twins, he knew how to hit the ball, use the whole field. So that was always in his back pocket. I think as you'll notice, maybe he's pull up some videos, you know, when he he turned his foot in, so he didn't have to probably pivot as far. That's a mechanical thing, you know? Yep. He didn't have to pivot that backside so much. He big dude, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to pivot a full 90 degrees to get the barrel out on the pull side. So he puts it in, you know, he toes it in, and he has to pivot 45, he's a lot quicker. And all of a sudden fastballs and stuff, are. Are easy because he didn't have all that turn, it, it, and his hands were lightning. They were, you know really good. He was a really good hitter with Minnesota. I think the knee was kind of a, a deal for him, and you know, some there was some doubt about his career because maybe the, maybe his health. But uh, man, you know, he just I think because he was he was groomed well early on. I think that set set the stage for him to be confident. You know that he could go the other way in Fenway Park or. Hey, I can call and pull all day long. So, you know, I, I think he went into the right situation right the ballpark, and, you know, the rest is history. Good fan.
2: Carlos Correa can hit for power, and, and he can do some different things for you. I've been really impressed with him as a baseball player, especially how how, uh, how strong his arm is. I, holy cow, I couldn't believe that. That's a 105-mile-an-hour fastball when he needs it from the shortstop position. Uh, but, but as a hitter... Uh, he, he's he's long and lanky. I mean, he looks like an athlete when he steps out on the field. You say, that's got to be the best player on the field. He's got that look and that, that it about him. Uh, what do you see from him? That, for this is the first time I've watched him, obviously, multiple at-bats.
3: Well, his hands are always ready. They're always in the right spot. You know, he doesn't take it. You know, there's no extra. There's no extra at the top. Uh, the hands are ready. They're loaded. You know, so the ball's out of the pitcher's hand. He's recognized. He doesn't go backwards from there. So, everything's forward. She, you know, he's been on he's been kind of on fire. He's been a catalyst lately, I from what I've been seeing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some long balls and you know, left center in the deep part of the ballparks and he's been he's been doing that guy. But then I look at the dugout and I see how how he is as a teammate. And just the players rally around him, you know, he'll sit on the bench and he'll talk to three or four players after he has a big home run or a big hit or something like that. Or maybe they did and he'll so he's you know that 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 goes a long ways as far as his character, helping young guys, helping veterans. He's a veteran now. He kind of passed the back and forth, but I, I'm more impressed what he does after he goes back to the. He doesn't sit and sulk, and you know he gets over it. He's he's been through the wars.
2: All right, last question. I saw a, a father and a son. Or maybe it was the coach. I don't know. At a ballpark the other day, and, and the and the kid had like a a stick. Now, I mean, it, it, it was a baseball bat grip, but it but it was it was made for this. Uh, and it's more like a, a stick than it is a, a a bat. And and he was throwing him little uh um, plastic golf balls. And I thought that has got to be perfect for hand eye coordination. Uh, is that a great drill for somebody to do? Does that will the ball always seem big if you can handle a, a plastic golf ball with a stick?
3: No doubt about it. No doubt. I mean that's why the old the old wiffle ball had you know, yeah. Bigger ball, little tiny bat, and the idea was they you know square it up with that, you know. So um heck Tony Tony Batista. I mean, he'd had me down before the games flipping in popcorn seeds. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Popcorn seeds <laughs> he was he'd square them popcorn seeds up and I'm going
2: to You'd do okay. a soft toss of okay. well, popcorn seeds.
3: Oh yeah, every, before every game, come down. He uh, he did pull out his back pocket, his pants, hand me a cup full of, a handful of seeds. Wow! And I'd be flipping them popcorn.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. You so can't make that up. It's pretty good, you know. He had the most eccentric type of batting stance. I guess yeah. maybe he needed a, He needed that, but yeah.
2: He's well, that day you get three at Target Field, kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. I said, there you go. <laughs> I can see why you like him, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had that yeah, he's 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 all right. So yeah, yeah.
2: Hey, Joe, appreciate yeah. it very much. Hope we can tap into you, but I love talking hitting with you. All right, Mike,
3: and uh, you know Just out here, I'm enjoying a little bit of old time country music at some riverside park or something like that in Altoona, Wisconsin. You know, just enjoying the night. Okay, well, night, don't get to too old too
2: quick on us, okay? You're not that old. Heck no. no you now sit down in the park and listen music. to country music, okay? All right, <laughs> uh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, waiting for some new stuff. See you. Bye. <laughs> this, I, my, my wife and I were commenting the other day about how we've been taken watching squirrels in the backyard, how funny it is to watch them, and it is funny to watch them. But we wondered out loud if that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> when you are entertained by squirrels, you know what I am saying. Carlos Correa, what he does for a team, I'll explain it in layman's terms when we come back. There are different leaders, different leadership styles that work. We had Larry McKenzie on earlier; that podcast is up uh, wherever we post them. It's there. Um, and, and his, style, you know, he he needed to be uh, have have his, his thumb on the pulse and, and and know everything about his players. And obviously, for major league baseball players, different. But Carlos Correa came into the clubhouse this spring. And uh, before he did his press conference and all those things, he, he sat and in, 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 in engaged with the players, almost went down the locker row, I watched this at spring training. But before that, when they had come to town to play the Twins two years ago in the, in the playoffs in the COVID year when nobody could be there and they played him in the playoffs in the afternoon in October, uh, I didn't know anything about him. And I got there early and I sat and watched him and I said, this is one of the most natural leaders I've ever seen. He went out to play shortstop and everybody knew where he was and his attention. You know, he he commanded attention without really having to work at it. And and I see um, uh, that that's one style of leadership. Byron Buxton it, it's not natural for him to lead it, it, this is not what he does. His whole life he's been a tremendous athlete and he's put up numbers and and, and he could run and he could do all these things And, and so for him it, it, he, it's it, it requires more effort. He's got to think about it more and his style is you know to to use the hand motions after a triple and things like that to to, to pump it up and 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 to celebrate when somebody does something well. but it's much more difficult for him. Uh, it's not a natural extension of his personality. He's, he, he's getting $105 million. So he feels an obligation now to lead and you can do that. It's just a lot different for Correa. You get the sense that he was doing this when he was on the little league team and, and, and probably doing it for guys that were two years older than him. And he just had that gift and that understanding uh, of who needed to be cheered up and who needed to be jacked up as they say, and, 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 and that just continued to follow him through his whole career. And Buxton was just you know he was just so good. he was so electric he could have played football, he played baseball. and I remember I remember doing a story on him when he was in in Iowa in the minor leagues and he he was you know he he was not an extrovert. and, and then he came here and, and and obviously he got humbled a little bit um, uh, with the expectations and everything else. Uh, always a nice guy and, and then he got to be um, you know j- just kind of a regular guy. And then they said, Byron, you know, you, you got to be the leader on this team because we're going to give you 105 million dollars. And then I'm not saying change for the better or the worse; it's just different. He, he's trying to assume the role of leadership, and, and and I bring this up because it's so interesting to study. And and the question that I ask myself sometimes with Byron, for example, is: Do they really want you to lead? Do you really need to lead, or or can you just play the game well and let them pick up on that? I don't know. But sometimes I think you can waste energy trying to be so aware of being a leader because you get paid the most money. And re- you really don't have to. They'll lead. They'll follow you in the areas that they want to follow you in, and there's not much you can do about that. That's what I'm saying. Tomorrow, training camp starts for the Minnesota Vikings, and this is where we bridge this thing. When we come back, one of the all-time great leaders in Vikings history will join us. Sports to the Max rolls on after this. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Tomorrow, night I'll be, tomorrow I'll be at the Minnesota Vikings to cover them as training camp begins. It is a time-honored tradition. used to be held in Mankato before that, Bemidji, and depending on where you played, you <laughs> usually went to a college for training camp. Now it's right on site at Facilities. Joining us in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, the man that knows all about it. Bob him out. what did training camp mean to you? Were, you? were you excited the night before training camp or not?
1: Absolutely. We had a blast in training camp. We'd sneak out at night, you know, go over to... No, side, you're ruining my field. perception of you guys. <laughs> no, no, the, you know, the training camp, it was fun. I mean, you, you made it fun if you came into camp in shape. In other words, the offseason, a lot of these guys came to camp to get in shape. You know, I came in camp in shape to learn the, the defense and that's why a lot of athletes probably better than me you know didn't make didn't make it because of their their attitude towards training camp but we get there with the guys you know and, and everything it, it was uh people uh i i think picture how cruel it is but it's not you're playing something you really love you know, every day and, and you you can grade yourself every day. A lot of times in the business world, you know, it takes you have a yearly goal. Sure. well here you got a goal, you know, a daily goal. And then they show the films the next morning or whatever, you know, when you're corrected there. So no I I mean, no, I I I, I, I liked it. I, I really did.
2: So, some say that this training camp nowadays in the NFL, they're too short and too soft. Oh, three three soft. preseason games and they don't hit. Do you think oh. that's true, or is that just because these guys stay in such great shape and they got so many training camps in the offseason that they don't need it?
1: No, don't, don't give me all the great shape that they're in. No, there, there, there's um, <clears throat> all the things that you said, you know, you know how much tougher the camps are. No, it's not true. They're, they're, they mislead you. Yeah. And the players have too much to say about what they're going to do. Really? In camp, and as far as the number of of uh, one-on-one pass drills you have and yeah. the the contact. Yeah. You know, we we started out every practice, Well, uh, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we started out every, no, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, excuse me, we started out every practice you know, we we with the uh, live blitz pickup. Really? They, yes, every live. Process. I mean, we, we dug in, and that, that's the way we started. And uh, um, if you if you didn't like it, well, also will gotcha.
2: So so would you be? I mean, would it be first against first? Would it be you guys against Tarkington? What
1: would it be? Yeah. Well, um, it, it would. We weren't allowed to, tar- to tackle Tarkington. You know, we just could touch him. Yeah. Because he, he's a golden boy. Right? Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. You played with him in New York and Minnesota, so you knew him well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I played 10 years as a friend. He's a piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I wish I have
2: bought yeah, that Apple stock when he bought that Apple stock, I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> oh, man. man. You know, he, I, had a, I had a chance to, but then I... That's the time I went out and bought you dinner rather than buy this
2: stuff. I know, and I told you, man, this thing Apple <laughs> that I haven't heard much about might be okay. But anyway, you couldn't hit him, but the point was you had a lot of contact in practice.
1: Yep. Yeah, because we we, we we started out with with, with uh, 15 to 20 minutes of live blitz pickup. That's where we started practice because you wanted to get that tempo going. You know, you, you didn't want to come out there and and think you're going full speed, but you really, you know, you you're faking your way through all these drills. Uh, when, when you go live blitz pickup, there's no way to fake it. Uh, they, they can tell exactly, you know, who has the attitude, you know, to, to carry over day in and day out. Okay. Because you, you don't, you don't have an attitude of just for just Sundays only. No way. And a lot of these young punk kids, they come in, they think they just have to get it up, you know, on. Saturday, you know, for the college, and, yeah, and, and and Sunday for the pros, yeah. Not not the way it works, Matthew. No, not no, no, no. athletes.
2: Now take a me. Cut. take a guy like Daniil Hunter, great player, and then he's been hurt the last couple of years. Does he have that in him? Do, do you see him being kind of a raging bull when he needs to?
1: Um, I'm a positive person. Okay, <laughs> I don't like to answer this question, <laughs> but you know. He's got all the talent in the world, right? Uh-huh. But he does not try and give it 100% on every play. And the, that's the greatest thing an athlete can have because if, if you as an athlete um, are, are playing, the, we'll say defensive end like me, and, and you're not giving 100% on every play, how can I as a coach coach you? Because you, you
2: don't know what you're going to get from them.
1: That's right. Yeah. He's coming at eighty percent without open up one other weakness and you try to correct that, you know, and there's no consistency. Predictability is the greatest thing to have for a professional team, knowing what the how a player is going to react in a certain situation. Whether they come out with a different formation, with a split formation, eye formation, no no backs in the backfield. It it's how they make the adjustments. And their attitude throughout their career you know and all week will give you that positivity
2: all right Bob they've got new coaching staff that that obviously they've been with them in the off season and it starts tomorrow. Uh, you 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 went through different coaching staffs, and you had oh. some legendary ones: Bud Grant, Don Shula. You played for you, you, uh, yep. uh, Jack Patera later on in, in Seattle. Uh, all those things. Well, what do players expect from their coaches? And and, and they, they talk a lot about this being a real positive group of coaches. It, 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 will that last, or is that just something that, that gets you into the door?
1: That that'll get you in the door, but then to stay. They they have got to coach. They have to understand the players and be able to coach their weakness. Yep. And also understand when you when you do make a mistake, what what was Lurtzy seeing? You know. Yep. Did the halfback go in motion? Was it split formation? Well, you know. You know. Because what we would do, we when we watched the tapes, we we look even at the end zone tapes. And we checked out the off, offensive linemen. Now remember I'm I'm defensive lineman. We check out the offensive line, the opposing team upcoming, and we do close ups of their feet. And then you could find out when, when if their foot if their right foot on the right footed stand was back three more, four more inches. You know it was a pass. Would, that, that, no. No. When it's back they're gonna get off. It's just the opposite, Maxie. Well, when I see it when they when they put it out wide. Yeah, that's that's. That, it's fast. Uh, yep. Yes. Yes. But when 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 you're doing the same thing and a stack, you know that that's going to give them a better opportunity to uh, to get off the ball.
2: Right. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is those coaches have to be able to. You can be as positive as you want, but but the bigger thing is they got to make you a better player, and that's what you really want.
1: Right. When I make, a I make a mistake, of course, I never did. I was perfect. No. <laughs> but um, when you do it, why did Bob do that? The coach has to see that the offensive tackle was three inches close to the guard. So I, I anticipate this particular play being a, being a seasoned veteran. And it, it came down to that fine detail detail yeah. where, you, where you see a guy up painting day day day. All of a sudden he's off a little bit. Boom. Red flag goes up. Yep. Bing. And, and, yep. and then and then what we used to do with, with LR Marshall and Page, you know, we we have a, a a fake call. We you know, we if we knew we were gonna get killed, you know, and they were gonna down, we go, Maxie, Maxie, yeah. Maxie you know. And and then that that was our call between the linemen. Jack defense Black coach nothing the Vikes and uh, great coach and I love no. but but they uh, that that's how we we would do it but they trusted us that be correct. If you're gonna come off the defense that was called you better be 100% better
2: correct be 100% yep, yep.
1: right and, but, but see here's the deal a veteran player and a veteran coach you know if they're on the same page that's that's like poetry it is. Mean, it's such a great, it is. It's such a great thing to see him perform.
2: Yeah. yeah. You, you're absolutely right. Lurtsy, appreciate it very much. I look forward to seeing you at training camp, my friend.
1: Oh, you bet. Hey, man, and uh, everybody out there, uh, Cousins is good. Yeah. Don't read any negative stuff, Bob. And they are going to have a good year this year.
2: That's you all know, I need guarantee. to hear. I Guaranteed. Will, I will sleep well tonight. Thank you, Lurtsy. Okay, I'll- that's You bet. I love that guy, Bob my man. I love that guy, Bob Lurtsima. I sound like Bernsey now. Uh but he had Mooney Winston behind him too, and Mooney made up for more. He he could put him in the right position all the time, because Mooney'd just say, Bob, you know, look they're coming this way. And then boom, you knew. Because Mooney was he, he was just there. I've uh, been there a long time. And, and if you get a guy like Mooney, it's a little bit different. It just is. And uh and and Bob had the benefit of that while he was here. Bob was actually They called him benchwarmer Bob. He made all that money doing that. He was a really good football player. He was the fifth defensive lineman on the best defensive line in the NFL uh, with uh, Page and Eller and Larson and uh, God rest his soul, Sudzy Doug Sutherland, who who always looked up to Bob as uh, kind of his role model and passed away this uh, past offseason as well. I should ask Bob about him. I forgot to. Training camp for the Minnesota Vikings, what to watch out for when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back, Sports to the Max, News Talk 830-WCCO. Tomorrow night right here will be occupied by the Minnesota Twins as they take on the Milwaukee Brewers, pretty good collection of players they've got east of this city uh, in Milwaukee. They are in first place in uh, in the National League in their division, and uh, they give you a handful. They can pitch the baseball. They can, and then when you got haters sitting at the end of it, it becomes a very, very difficult task. Uh, but they will play tomorrow and then on Wednesday afternoon then they'll fly out and play in San Diego over the weekend. We'll wait to see if Miguel Sono is a part of that equation. Uh, training camp, what to watch for for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, how do they use K.J. Osborne? Be very, very important. The defensive line rotation, particularly in the middle with some of the new players they've got. Uh, is Harrison Phillips going to be a gap stopper? Is he going to be a, a situation guy or can he play more downs than we think right now? How athletic are their new linebackers? Can Hicks give them the boost that they need? Those are the things that you watch for coming right out of the gate. Now, now the second part of that is, is everybody's going to be watching is the, is the new coaching staff and what can they get out of you know a lot of the same players from the same team. Do you know what the most underrated thing is for a football coach without question? This is based on my year. I played it in high school. My brothers played it in high school and college. Uh, I've studied coaches in football for years. I've gotten to know football coaches for years. And we talk so much about X's and O's and and motivation as being, you know, you X and O or you're a motivator. And if you're really good, you're both. Um, And and no question those things are critical. But you know the one thing that is incredibly underrated – in terms of the quality of a football coach in particular because there's so many moving parts, it is who is the most organized? Who is the most organized? Who can get it down to a minute with clarity as to what you're doing on your practice schedule? Who can make it so clear that it can't be misinterpreted? Who can get in front of players and say, this is what we're doing at this time on this day. And everybody in the room knows exactly what they're doing at that time on that day. You don't think about this very often. But the greatest football coaches that I know are incredibly organized. That means they're doing things like in March, they're planning the training camp schedule day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. They've got it down. These players want clarity. They want to know exactly how their schedule lays out for the next six months of their lives, and they want to know every day what that schedule looks like. The most organized wins because the most organized provides the most clarity. These players got enough to think about without having to worry about what time is the meeting at. All they got to be able to do is look on, on their iPad and see the meeting is at 7.35, don't be late. That's all they need to know, but they need to know that and that coaches have to be so organized. We don't talk about that very often. You don't think about that very often. But the great coaches at all – high school especially, the coach that communicates the best in the offseason and explains what it is he's trying to get down with this program. Today, I was at a high school football practice. You, you now have windows of time uh, where, where, where people can go out and practice football. You have, you have X amount of days during the summer. And so you need to be highly organized because it's an optional practice. You don't know how many kids are going to show up. And you want them to know the basics so that when they get to their version of training camp, uh, you can start with it. You, you can hit with your feet running and you're going in the same direction. And so the only way you can do that is to be incredibly organized. In this practice that I was watching, they were incredibly organized because they communicated to the kids. Okay, on this day, you're just going to wear helmets. The next day, you're going to just wear helmets and shoulder pads and on and on. But you knew exactly what time you needed to be there. You knew exactly what time the whistle was going to blow to start it. You knew exactly what time it was going to end. You knew exactly what you were going to do. We don't think about that, do we? We think about can they give the old Newt Rockney speech? And, um, you know, can they figure out how to use the flanker? The most organized is one of the greatest attributes you can have as a head football coach. When we come back, this is interesting. Uh, she grew up in part the went on to work as a reporter at the New York Times, and she's always had this affinity for sports and a guy named Tony Oliva, so much so that she boycotted going to the Hall of Fame until yesterday when she got four seats to see Tony Oliva go in. We will visit with her about her storied career
0: On TuneIn, go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better